You are listening to CFRO Community Radio Station. The upcoming show, Conscious Living Radio, is a program that explores frontiers of consciousness, spirituality, personal growth, emerging paradigms in psychology, health, science, and innovative philosophies that reflect commitment to the advancement of individual, social, and global transformation. Hi, this is Tasha Sims. And Mark Duran. And you're listening to Conscious Living on Co-op Radio 100.5 FM in Vancouver. The station, of course, on lockdown, as everything else is as well. But this show on Zoom is then still going to uh, air live. Not live. We're pre-recorded, and it will air at uh, Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. on Co-op Radio 100.5 FM. So today, Teal Squan, a spiritual teacher and author of The Anatomy of Loneliness, has created an oracle deck that Mark and I have been delving into. It helps you uncover the blind spots in your life. Oh. We... oh, go ahead. Oh, <laughs> what was that? Mark? It's, me and my, it's me and my virtual background. I was looking to share the, uh, show the cards. Mark's multi-deck. it's got the, uh, there we go. Now you can see. Yes. We speak with Teal about the Blind Spot deck. We're going to talk about how to tap into it and uh, use it to create a life that you desire. Teal is the author of six books, the creator of hundreds of frequency paintings, as well as the Ask Teal YouTube series. Um, in conjunction with her vision of creating a positive world, she has also created Headway Foundation, a nonprofit that enables ideas, goals, and ventures that are aimed at benefiting the world. So welcome to the show, Teal. So this oracle deck, the blind spot, and let's let's start at the beginning. Most of our listeners are pretty savvy, but for those who don't know what oracle cards are, let's define them and describe how they work. Okay, so an oracle card works the same way that a tarot card works in terms of that there's no like basic structure. For a typical tarot deck, there's like a very defined structure for how to draw them, how they work, what the meanings are. The Oracle deck is the same type of a divination tool, except that there's not necessarily a structure that you can do about anything. It's, but it, I mean, it basically boils down to that which you don't see. Why does anybody use a tarot deck or use an Oracle deck? It's because in the situation, I want more insight, and I want insight that often exists beyond the veil or beyond what I'm seeing. Right. And each Oracle deck seems to have a unique way that it's meant to be used. So what was your intention when you created the blind spot? Funny story. Do you want a funny story? Absolutely. We all need to laugh. We love funny stories. Okay, I was sitting in, I think it was a waiting room for a doctor, an alternative doctor. And in this waiting room, there was a bunch of oracle cards. We just had tons of them. And I was in one of these moods where I was a little bit frustrated. And I was looking through all these different oracle cards and just getting more and more like put off by them because it seemed like the basic theme was all positivity. And not only fitting in situations where it really shouldn't be, you know? Like, I can see somebody picking up a positive oracle deck, like, if it's inspiration for my life. And then every card you turn over is like, abundance is coming to me. But, you know, when somebody's sitting down, I was watching people, by the way, do this. They were sitting down in that place and looking at them and these decks for insight into their relationships. Now, if you have a, a marriage that's falling apart and you draw a card that says, you know, my relationship is working out wonderfully, that actually did nothing for you. So I, w I got frustrated. That was the origin of this deck. And I thought, well, people are going to these decks to try to figure out why things aren't working for them and what they can do differently. Why not just directly call it out? Why not create a deck that's for what you're not seeing? Like, Right. Yeah, no, definitely hardball, and which really appeals to my nature because it feels way more real. Um, not afraid of work. And I would say for people who really want it gentle and fluffy, your cards, these may not be the cards for you. But if you're, if you're down with actually um, facing, like I've got to tell you, when I pulled my first card, my first hit was uh, no. And then like inside. And then I went, okay, breathe into that. And yeah. then I, I read the, the meaning. And it was a cool, well, I'll just tell you, I'll share. It was um, doing harm. And my whole jam is, uh, I don't do harm. Like, that's my, my uh, whoops, not just presenter. I truly believe that that is not my intention. But when I read what it said about having empathy with the 
the person who you believe did harm to you. I realized really quickly that that I certainly didn't have empathy. It was completely one-sided. And I loved the card's guidance saying, well, hold on. If you can see it from their perspective, it, it was very powerful for me because I went, that is so cool. It didn't take long to move through, but I went, this is kind of the key in that example to forgiveness. If you can't get that piece, you're not going to be able to forgive anybody because you're still the victim of whatever it is they do. Yeah. So I, I don't know if it gives you listeners a kind of taste of um, the portal that these cards can be, if you're willing to go into the dark, do some shadow work. And, and so just chipping it back to your process of creation. So that was your inspiration. How did you actually create these cards, especially since there's so many, you know, blind spots? Are there, is there a pattern for, for human beings from your perspective? Or was it more personal? What was it that, what's your process? Well, there, there's definitely, if you look at humans in general, there are some definite blind spots. Most of them involving a perception of shame. I can't look at this thing because it would make me bad or anything. And so, I mean, I wish I could say I have more of a concrete process than I actually do. It's just that it's very easy for me to see the, the areas that people don't want to look at or the areas that people might miss in a certain circumstance because of worldview or the way that they've been conditioned or their attachment to an identity. Do you feel that you're a part of that or that it's somehow separate from you? Well, a part of which? A part of you, yeah? You mean like the shadows themselves? Well, I was again thinking about the, the process of creation and I know personally when I'm something's coming through me and I'm creating it only resonates if I already understand it or have worked through it or uh, there's there's a, an element, or I, it wouldn't be coming through me almost. Do, do you know what I'm asking you in terms of, is there a distinction for you, or you when you're creating them? Are you thinking about those people, or are you thinking about us, meaning we as a collective? Are you tapping into the collective, and you're the vehicle? Or are, you know, that's where I'm trying to get. I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how to answer that question. It's, it, it's sort of like asking me, you know, asking that question is almost like when I'm walking you into a room and you see the walls as green. And so what you write down on a card is the wall is green. And I ask you that question. That's why I'm having a hard time answering. So let me try it a different way. Do you feel all the blind spots in the card are pertinent to all people, including yourself? Or is it specific to other people and the experiences they've had? No, they could definitely. I could definitely have any one of these shadows in the given moment. Yes. Right. So I, I have a question for you, if I may, Teal. Yeah. When did you? How did this gift, you know, make its appearance to you? Like, is it something you were always connected growing up, or did it just kind of show up at a specific time for you? And and then how did that evolve? I was born this way. The best way to think about it is, is to imagine that you have a being who comes in and their filter is blown. Like most people when they come into the physical dimension, their brain and their mostly central nervous system is set up to only plug into this matrix. Let's consider the third dimension of matrix. I'm not saying that it's not real. What I'm saying is it's a, a different construct. So just like if you were to become an avatar in a video game, you're in that reality. <clears throat> Most people have a perception which is limited and specifically intentional to that matrix or construct. And I was not that way. I was born different than that. So it, in fact, it took me a very long time to figure out that other people weren't plugged into all kinds of things at the same time. And it definitely makes this physical dimension a lot harder to navigate, but it makes it so that the patterns that are not obvious to others are visible literally visible and not in the mind's eye to me. I think the closest that people can get to understanding what it's like to live with me is to just go um, overdose on ayahuasca. <laughs> it's not It's not like a, a thing that's happening in the mind's eye or empathetically. It's literally the way I'm perceiving reality. So when somebody has a blind spot, for example, or, most, or feels an emotion, I'm actually watching it in the auric field, visually. Great. Well, thank, thank you for that. 
Yeah, it, it's still holding the same question. It's funny. Um, well, come back but to I'm, it. What? Maybe we need to drive deeper. You can come back to it. Yeah, I'm going to come back to it. I could just feel the pins still in there and going, huh. Like even okay. there, I can, it's like I keep, I, I think post, possibly because, um, well, no, I don't think I'll do that. But, but I guess the, the we is so important to me. Okay. <laughs> and so I keep trying to understand your your relationship with we. Do you know what I mean? In the in a creative, especially in a creative process, because but let's move on. Let's move to your art, because that's also creative. And I, I thought it was fantastic. The oracle cards come with tattoos. So that to me is a first. Never seen that before. Totally appeals. Um, my question is, you can tell me too how these you call them sigils, am I pronouncing it right? Sigil, yeah. Sigil. Um, which is you now the, the old school, or the definition I know is it's a symbol that has some magical essence to it. I don't know if that's how you also define it. But these tattoos are um, sigils that specifically address blind spots. Can you share a bit about the correlation between wearing it and therefore working with that blind spot? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to define sigils in a different way that most people okay. are used to, and that kind of helps you understand how they work. I want you to think about a symbol as something that represents another idea. So, a symbol of like a, an X usually means no, some form of no. So the X is representing a concept. Sigils are quite different in that the look of whatever drawing that you're using is serving in and of itself as a body for a specific consciousness. So sigils are really the reason that you've got so much trouble with people breaking into two and commons too. Let's pretend that, that a, an image, what most people would call a symbol, is acting as an embodiment for a whole consciousness, and that consciousness is specifically there to protect something. Then it's like, I think the closest that I could get to helping a person understand it is, what if you could tie a ghost to a symbol, and therefore the symbol itself would serve as a body to that ghost, and therefore, any interaction you have with that symbol means that you're interacting with that ghost. And or when you say ghost, would frequency be another word you could put in there or not? Is it different for you? Is it really entity as opposed to it's frequency? An it's an entity. It's an entity. Sigils are carriers for entities, usually. What, and I, how I differentiate about that is that it's a singular consciousness. Right. So it will identify whatever is attached to the sigil will identify as an eye. So how does wearing it, or can wearing it serve as a portal to a solution around whatever that blind spot is? Yes, hugely. So let's say that you take one of these tattoos that I've included, and I was very careful to include the ones that I wanted. Um, not all of these in the deck are ones you want to have tied to your body. Um, they're all designed to make you aware, right? But some make you aware by dragging you into the problem, and some make you aware by dragging you away from the problem, right? So... Imagine that each one is a teacher, like any individual eye consciousness could serve as a teacher. So yeah. actually, I have a good way of explaining this. Let's imagine that I could create a symbol and connect or tie in or embody the essence of Eckhart Tolle with that particular symbol. So that mm -hmm. now becomes the sigil because the symbol is acting as an embodiment of him, actually. Uh -huh. Imagine that we're working with his six-dimensional consciousness. So suddenly you put that on your body, and you, what's actually on your body now is the embodiment. That's being I'm used wearing for. Eckhart. Yeah, you're wearing Eckhart. So <laughs> if he's with you all day long, then it changes actually your personal frequency and therefore your point of attraction. Now all of a sudden the awareness around whatever that sigil is designed to make you aware of is coming into your reality. So it creates this kind of a learning hologram around you, as if you're not in one already, enhances yeah. it. So that what you're starting to become a match to is more awarenesses relative to that one item, which I would call blind spot. Hey, let's do Mark. I like that. That well, was that was clear. Yeah, let's do I, I Mark. wanted to too. Mark, show your arm, and and are you okay with there. teal? Um, yeah, absolutely. I I will. I I'll always own myself because I'm not I'm not reactionary at all. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I got up this morning and as I was preparing for today, looking forward to this, you know, opportunity to speak with Teal, I had to, you know, go through the cards again because they are pretty powerful. And I asked myself, I actually did it with the tattoos and, and I shuffled the tattoos. I did the thing and my question was, what is it I need to 
learned that I'm going to put on my body that's going to stick with me for a while, that is a lesson that's going to make a difference in my life the most. And so I shuffled the cards, and they don't have the numbers on them, so you go through the cards and find them. And oddly enough, with the 72 cards, oddly it's like the third to the last one. <laughs> um, but it was uh, reactivity, right? It was about reacting. And uh, so I put it on there. And I, I love the image, too. I thought it was fantastic. So I don't know if Teal has anything to share about that. Um, but yeah, I love that. About you with reactivity? Yeah. Do, do, do you get any, you know, like in other words, is he going to get more reactive because he's wearing it, or is he going to actually work with what it is that it's at the core of his reactivity, he's which is be, his blind spot? His blind spot is that he's not reactive. You see, that blind spot is he is reactive, and it's not actually possible not to be right. Exactly. And, and so I'm going to talk to you about the non-reactivity. You're more like, I like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and for me, what it is when I put it on, and what it meant to me was. To be top of mind, to not be reactive, to stop reacting and being is what I was thinking. But you're, you you're always concept. reactive. You ha you're always, there's always a choice. You're always reacting. You know, and, and it's true because when I looked at it, it was like I read it like you when you were sharing Tasha when you read it and go, no, no. And I was like, no, uh, yes, it is. So anyways, go ahead, Teal. Uh, I want to get schooled by you. Okay. So, so the, you should take the idea or the intention to not be reactive and throw it out the window. Because it's not actually possible for a, for a physical being of any kind to not be reactive. This is what I mean by that. If I come and I swing at your face and you flinch, that's a reaction. You don't really mind that reaction, right? Because nobody has told you there's anything shameful about that reaction. The reason that you're unwilling to admit to reactivity is probably because you've been part of spiritual group for so long and probably have personal pain around other people being reactive and therefore you've made it not okay, right? But making it not okay means you try to disown it from your being. So now I'm not going to recognize the fact that it's in me because it makes me a bad person if it's part of The problem is, just like the fight or flight response, any of these things that are embedded in your being. So you can't make an enemy of reactivity without being making an enemy of human. So what has to happen is the understanding, we will always have a reaction. I mean, everyone. And think of the highest spiritual teacher that you can possibly think of in the world that has ever lived. That, ha that person had a reaction. What happens, though, is that they use the reaction as a meditation bell. You know how when sometimes in like Buddhist circles, a bell will go off and it means it's meditation time. And that's everybody's cue to go into what they call big mind, right? instead of individual mind. We can use the reactivity, which comes to us in sensations, when we notice we're having that reaction, right? What we can do is use it to pivot. So when I'm having the reaction, I want you to imagine that there are flames and fires going off inside you. And at that moment, it's not about shutting it off, or it's not about denying the fact that you have them or going away from them, which is what most you know, spiritual teachers tell you to do. They'll be like, do any practice that makes you ignore the sensation. No, like I want the exact opposite. We use it to pivot towards the flames and the fires that are happening internally to deliberately caretake them and learn from them. Because any reaction is actually a carrier of a very powerful personal truth. Like if you're reactive about watching some dog get hit on the road, for example, a very powerful truth in sharing is whatever it is for you. If compassion is important to me, caretaking animals is important to me. Maybe the powerful truth is I was really hurt because nobody really cared. I felt like I got run over all the time in childhood. All of those things are elements of ourselves that are desperately calling for us to caretake and for us to meet different needs that may not have been met. So to look at reactivity as if it's a negative is not a very good idea. So if you are drawing that, then it's carrying you into the awareness that you need to caretake yourself. Right? And that particular sigil that you have on you, that's, that's the teacher of um, impact, I would call it. So you know the concept where you drop a stone in the water and it creates all these ripples. So if I'm dropping a stone in the water of compassion, then compassion is what goes out to the rest of the world. If what I'm dropping in that water is self-defense, then what actually happens in that ripple effect is that other people begin to solidify their sense of self and defend it. So it's basically a calling 
to do with yourself what you would have others do with them. <laughs> I love that she clowns her hands. It's so cute. <laughs> what do you want to say, Mark? Mark. Are you speechless? Oh, yeah, yeah I want, you left me speechless. I, I did turn it off just because. Um, yeah, that was, I, I totally identify and relate with exactly what you're saying. It, like, for me, that nail hit the nail right on the head. I'm going to go back and re-listen to that as well. Um, and I'm, I'm going to sit with that because it really, it, it lands quite well with me in terms of certain areas where I'm at in life right now. So, yeah, it was like spot on. You know what, as a side note, so I don't know if you know, but I just barely released an e-course on how to thrive in crisis. I was going to I was gonna bring that up as well. Tasha was probably going to bring that up too. I but have yeah, an entire portion that's about reactivity versus response. Mm -hmm. And because because that was the one you drew, that may be one chapter that would be pertinent to your life in general. I will go take a look. Thank you. So, Teal, do you think people's reaction to us is can often be an indicator of a blind spot in ourselves? Yes. How? How would that work? Well, I, well, for example, let's say that you've got somebody who is really bad at external considering, meaning they have a hard time, this is of course because of childhood trauma, they have a hard time taking other people as a part of themselves. They'll constantly notice that everybody in their reality is responding to them in a way that's sort of like, screw you, you know, why Why are you doing this to me? They're, everyone's reacting as if they're a victim, right? right? Now, there's several things that could be in the brain is up for one example. That could mean, wait a minute, if I'm getting this reflection from this person and this person and this person, maybe the blind spot is. I'm not really considering people when I'm making decisions. Um, another way that this shows up often is that when people have early childhood trauma around shame, let's say they were the scapegoat of the family, reactions that you see in others often has to do less, actually, with something that you are doing and more with the fact that they're acting as a carrier for the trauma that's being reflected externally. So you might put yourself, you might be a person who puts yourself consistently into social situations where you're going to be rejected, not necessarily because of anything bad that you're doing, but because of the beliefs that that group holds. It's, I mean, if I watch a typical scapegoat, they're not going to find situations and circumstances that are conducive to them, that are compatible to them. Instead, they're going to enter into incompatible situations and define themselves or differentiate themselves where the most people don't react to difference particularly well. Mm -hmm. So any reaction that anyone's having to us is an opportunity for us to notice something we're maybe not conscious of. Yeah. What do you think, um, what, what's your intention or desire for people who are using these cards? I think my main intention is for people to really look at how they might be contributing to a situation. Because what I notice in general is that a lot of people feel like life happens to them. Mm -hmm. And what these cards do the best at is by showing you what you're not seeing, right, is to show you maybe how you have a hand in the creation of what you're experiencing. And if you know that, then all of a sudden the power's back in the hands as well. So like, let, let's say, for example, that the card that you draw is there's nothing really bad happening in the situation that you're in. It's your fear. So now I'm like, all right, so I'm entering into all the situation that I'm in, in the attitude of it's not going to work out for me or an attitude of I'm afraid of what's going to happen. That means that I've got an issue with distrust. So now that I know that, I have something to work on. I can work on my distrust. Where does it come from? Why is it in this circumstance? Is there any way to change that situation? You got to be looking directly at something to um, strategize how to bring empowerment back in the situation. Mm -hmm. That's my intention. Mm -hmm. um, do you? Is there anything else you want to say about the cards before we move into other areas? There's a whole pile of things I'd love to talk about, but in terms of these cards, which I, again, from certainly I love oracle cards. I don't ever buy the super fluffy ones. So I've always found them kind of interesting, but never quite so provocative. And <laughs> that angle is, you know, it's really appealing for anybody who wants radical honesty with themselves, with the world. If that's your jam, if that's your frequency, these are the cards for you. That's all I can say. So even if you've tried tons of Oracle cards, you go, yeah, 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 whatever. 
whatever. These are very, and they're practical. So I, I did another one with someone where I, it was like, all right, what do I need to know about this situation? And it was, I pulled the gift, which I knew. I mean, I do know in every situation there's a gift. But the beginning of looking at that and then inviting the other person to also pull a card and how the, the two matched in terms of a business uh, proposal was fascinating. So that I think they can be used in lots of different ways. For self-growth, for illuminating a dynamic. That's what happened in that moment. Um, anyway, I just wonder if there's anything else you want to throw in there to uh, let our listeners know where they can get them and about the cards before we move on. Um, the easiest way to get them is to just go to my website, tealsfun.com. I mean, do you want to do, we should, should we draw a card for what people aren't seeing about the world right now? I'm I want to get to, yes, I'm going to get to COVID. Why don't we do it when we get there? Okay. We could, although we could do that right now, actually, sure. But, and and well, I just I, I just wanted to concur with you, Tasha, that the cards are fantastic and they are just a great um, window into self and, and like you say, I love the way you use them in situations. And yeah. energetically powerful, when I hold these cards, like my hands just started, like they're on fire, they just started tingling. It was like, all the cards were calling to me, not just one. It, it, um, yeah. But they were like really energetically strong, so... And the artwork was just beautiful, so thank you for that. Yeah, and I loved, um, I didn't read the instructions. I'm not a follower. I don't do recipes well. But mm -hmm. I, I too, just looked at the images initially and allowed myself to be drawn and then got interpreted it, which you also suggest, interpret what your hit is before you read it. Mm -hmm. And I found that super fascinating. But I, too, ended up with, like, I don't know, there were seven of them. And I'm going, which one? Like, I was so mm -hmm. drawn to so many. Um, which could mean I've got all these blind spots, but honestly, some of them are not what we've actually already described. Some of them are very, um, they might be blind spots, but they're not necessarily shadow, like the gift. That felt really positive to me, mm -hmm. right? Just keep looking, like keep, make sure you, you're checking it out from every angle, or, for, or certainly from the perspective of what is the learning in here, what is the gift. Um, so COVID, we're going to move to this interesting time, this unique time that we're all living in. And before we pull a card, can I ask you a few questions about how you're experiencing the frequency? And I yes. say frequency because that's how, for me, um, that's there's an, an incredible shift that is occurring, and I'm curious what your intuitive take on that is. My intuitive take on, on the whole crisis itself? Not yet, and don't. If you're going to go down conspiracy theory road, just know I don't, and and I don't know that. Yeah, I could sit back and let Mark do it with you, but it would not be my first choice. I don't find any us and them thinking helpful. That's and just we probably shouldn't discuss it. Oh yeah, you've got an us and them too going, do you? Well, right. I'd, I'd love to hear. You and Mark, I'd love you and to Mark hear can your do a show. Thoughts on it only because I think you know. You and Mark can do a show about. Well, good guys I, I, and bad guys. I I don't participate in good guys and bad guys. No, so. but if she has a perspective of what she'd like to share with the world, I'd, I'd love to hear it. I, right I'm now. just giving you my perspective and my yeah. values. And the values of this show, which is it's to encourage consciousness, but not separation. And when you've got good guys and bad guys, if you stop there, there's there's no evolution. So that's those are the caveats I'm putting out there before we go down the road. Your choice, Teal. Well, anybody who understands my teachings understands that I don't teach us. Okay. So well, that's why I was asking. I don't know your teaching, so that's why I'm asking the question, because I don't know what your answer is going to be in this case. Yeah, I definitely don't teach us that. However, what's happening right now is not life and fluffy. So if we want to like make this a, a show that's all about the nope. field good. Nope. Don't do that. I just won't. don't want to be a, a messenger for separation. Truth, yes. Authenticity, yes. So speak your truth, Teal. Tell us what you think is going on. Well, humanity has was at a crossroads in 2012. And that crossroads was really about whether they were going to create the new Earth. See, um, What all people have been really wanting since the very beginning of time is a utopia. Of course, everyone has a different version of utopia, actually. Like, if you imagine everybody being in what we call the perfect new earth, right? 
there would be a conflict immediately because mankind is not mastered relationship. There would be a disagreement that happened over what was grown or the way that children were raised or whatever. So in 2012, what was happening is that mankind was being called into the golden consciousness, which is Christ-like consciousness, quite frankly. It was a return of love and a return of free will. Because Christ was really about those two things, love and choice. And they're like a married pair. You can't separate them. So you had all these people awakening and awakening and awakening and awakening. And by 2015, that was the tipping point. By 2015, the question within the universe was whether, as a collective consciousness, mankind was going to awaken through suffering or was going to awaken by choosing based on discomfort to go in the direction of what is wanted. Does that make sense for you so far? Like, we live in contrasting environments, and so there's wanted and unwanted, and a person doesn't have to get into massive amounts of pain in order to go in the direction of what is wanted. However, a lot of people are in resistance. They've been trained into it. The process of socialization creates resistance in in a physical human. And humanity in 2015 became a match to awakening the hard way. So what's evolving today is something which, in 2015, I had my little crisis about. (laughs) Because in all of the life past for Earth, it was showing up that um, what would awaken the majority of the human race was going to be pain. Like a lot of it. Like we're talking World War Three level catastrophe type of a scenario. So the way that I feel about this is mixed because I know that you know somebody in your life, right, who's developed cancer, they got in a high speed car accident or something like that, and you can't make an enemy of the experience they went through because that's how they had their awakening. You know, that's when they were laying in the hospital bed and thinking you know, what is the point of life? Do I want to go back to my nine-to-five job? Maybe I don't. Maybe my relationship sucks. Maybe I want a new relationship. And that's actually what enables them to move into this new space. So I, I feel like both are true. Where I start to um, really deviate from the majority of the narrative in the spiritual field is that it's all around the positive. And that's true, but it's also true that in order to, be, to reach that type of space, a huge majority of mankind is going to be in that hit the three at seven miles an hour experience. So right now what you're watching and what's causing a lot of pain in me watching the human race is just the disparity between experiences. I mean, I, I did this teaching a while back that was called the uh, most dangerous parallel reality. Where you can all be experiencing the same thing, except for your experience of it is so different based on the perspective you hold, based on the situation you're in. So it is the stratification that is occurring as a result of what's going on within humanity. It's almost like we've gone back, actually, 50-some years in terms of our equality measures in the world today and things like that. And based on the level of impact that the specific event has had on a person, whether it's them losing their job or them losing loved ones or you know whatever else is happening to them, people are in varying degrees of suffering, and that's enhancing the suffering. The fact that over here you have this one person who's like in heaven because right. it feels like a staycation, and this person over here that's like I am in a food line for the first time in my life, even though I went to college. Me and my husband both had a good job, so I, I'm watching this isolation happen more and more, and it's creating a tension in the collective that is very difficult to hold. So I'm trying to call people into holding both, meaning being able to hold the negative and the positive in any experience, instead of use one to negate the other. That's the way that I would say. Well, there was nothing conspiracy theory about that. I liked it. I'm there. I feel you. The conspiracy theory comes in. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you want to know why it's a bit? The conspiracy theory comes in because regardless of whether you buy into the idea that this was an intentionally created circumstance or whether it was something that just happened as a mistake, as you cannot ignore the fact that mankind in a state of unawakened nature seeks, because it perceives itself to be separate from others, seeks to control others. And so right now what you're watching is one of the greatest power grabs in human history. And that's what the conspiracy theorists have figured out. So, so what's the change that needs to happen within humanity from your perspective? 
I mean, this is a definitely a drastic time oh. in our lives. What's the change? The change that needs to take place is that people need to come into a state of empowerment. Uh, a lot of this, I mean, we're going to see it with all generations. Every person in their life is in a space where they have to take a deep look at what anybody would if they got into one of those high-speed car wreck experiences. What part of the life that just collapsed for me do I want to carry forward into the future, and what do I want to build completely new? So a lot of the empowerment that needs to be found is why I want to talk about the millennial culture for a minute here, because th these are the ones that we have to be primarily focused on and worried about in terms of this transition, actually. Because the, the millennials are the ones that are about to inherit things. You know, once the boomer generation let go of the government, the ones that are going to take over whatever structure that society takes on them, they're going to be the millennials. But you've got a lot of shadows because of the traumas in the millennials. And so what needs to happen, basically, is to realize that that old system and structure is gone. Like that's the end of it. You're watching a lot of this narrative within mankind about we're going to get back to normal. There actually is no getting back to normal. It's not going to happen. And therefore, what we have to do is really think about what we want to add. So I want you to imagine that the entire structure of how we have lived financially and how we have lived interpersonally and all of that is destroyed overnight. I mean, you didn't like it anyway. That's been the collective resounding opinion throughout the human race, is that it sucked to be on a hamster wheel. So if that's collapsed for you, what do I want to replace that with? And I feel like a lot of people are trying to make it work within the context of the right. old system. So it's about what do I want that brand new system to be like? And I was making this, I was on another radio show where I was making this joke that it's not until you realize the old system is done for that the person who's currently looking for a nine-to-five job at Radio Shack stops and is the one who creates a free speech platform mm -hmm. or the one who starts to look at, oh, how do we get healthy food to all people instead of letting the, the industrial food complex make it so that humanity is so healthy just in terms of nutrition. Mm -hmm. So what we're looking at right now, which is the positive of all this, is a complete redefining or reforming of education, justice system, the food system, health system, everything. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like if you think of this like a blank slate, what do we want there? And that's where I think the real empowerment list is going to be. I know you've talked about how we choose this life, like the exact conditions necessary for personal expansion. So let's apply that to what's happening right now. If that is, I think you said, source trying to see itself, um, yes. what do you think is happening now? What's being reflected? In this current day, oh, source trying to see itself. Oh, it's about it's about separation. So in the very beginning, let's go back. I mean, we have to go so far back. We we're not even talking about Earth. We're not even talking. In the beginning, when you have united consciousness, it's thought the thought I. The question arose: What am I? Now, the second that thought was created, you can't create that thought without the presence of other. Except for in a unified field, there is no other. There's just the concept of it. So if we think of the origin of the thought I as the first moment that source itself felt loneliness for the first time. But it wasn't because it's lonely or alone. It's because of thought, the thought that fragmented itself. So fragmentation is the origin of everything we're seeing right now. Source is at a point where it realized that it has fragmented. I mean, if I'm a separate thing than you, then that's how I perceive myself. That's fragmentation within the source consciousness. It's interested in reunification, but it can't force that. You can't force socialism, right? Let's just talk about this on a human level. It's not possible to force socialism. If you force socialism, it's communism. So what has to happen for this unification to occur is that all elements source itself, all fragments, all humans, all non-humans, have to actually choose back into unification. They have to choose love. See, choice and love, same thing that, that Jesus was trying to teach in Buddha and <laughs> everyone else. So what's being reflected right now is the separation that has occurred and the pain that's a result of that separation within source. And if people see that, they will choose connection to that. And could that also, I know I asked you, what do you think has to change? Would it not be that? Like if everyone was moving toward that kind of uh, reality and understanding, wouldn't that change everything in yes, how we did? Yeah. Human beings are being called to end the zero-sum game. This is a more practical way of understanding what I just said. 
human beings have to understand that it's time to end the zero-sum game. That's I win and you lose. It's not a possible concept within the greater universe. So you have to get to a space where you're taking all things as a part of yourself. Mm -hmm. The second that I take something as a part of myself, I can't injure it without injuring myself. And this is where the birth of the third option begins to originate, which is what our solution is that is a yes for us both, not a compromise. Compromise is I'm going to take pain and you take pain. That's just a recipe for disaster. But it's, I'm going to work and you're going to work because you're taking me as part of you, too, to find something that's a yes for us both. And this is what creates safety in the context of relationship. It is the intentional choice towards unification instead of separation. Mm -hmm. No, it's, I, I want to get into relationship. Let's Before we move away from COVID, let's pull a card. And okay. I, yeah, like I'd like to know what our collective blind spot is about COVID. Hey, let's do this. So I'm going to actually do it on the deck itself this time. Okay, so I'm going to demonstrate how people are going to do this, right? So I'm about to show up the cards. So when I'm doing this, I'm doing this with the intention of pulling the collective of humanity. But what is the blind spot that the humanity has about the COVID crisis? So then just like any type of a typical deck, you're going to just shuffle it intuitively as many times as you want to in as many ways. There's not like one way to do this. Until you get this feeling of completion. I'm saying this for those of you who have never used a deck before. <laughs> Alright, there we go. So feeling of completion. And you're spreading them out. And whichever one you feel particularly drawn to, it will reveal itself. So what we have drawn is number 44. Right? So it looks like that on the deck. Once you see that number 44, you can look at this booklet that I've included, and you can turn quite literally to number 44. So expectations is the one that we drew. So I'm going to read this to you. And when I'm reading this to you, think about the COVID situation. If you've drawn the sigil, expectations are creating intense resistance in the situation you're in. You're most likely not being honest about your actual expectations. As a result, you're apt to be disappointed, and you're apt to be on a completely different page than other people are. We all have expectations. These expectations may be conscious or they may be subconscious. Most expectations are subconscious, in fact. This means you may know what some of your expectations are and you may not know that you have certain expectations, even though you do. To expect something is to believe with confidence that something will absolutely happen. Now, I need to stop here before I read forward because we can already see how expectations are being set up by the media. Now, we're in like this programming cycle right now where what the media first does is to give you a date, but then they keep changing it. You know, oh, it's going to be now. Oh, no, it's not going to be now. It's going to be now. No, it's not going to be now. And so a lot of that can create intense amounts of pain. Okay, so expectation often implies the attitude that something should happen or should be a certain way. We can all see that because in this situation that we're dealing with, we all have different opinions about how it should be. People should be wearing masks, but they're not. People shouldn't be wearing masks, but they are, right? And then... To assume is to take something for granted or to suppose something is true, even without having any proof. Looking at that definition, you can see how often you do this. Our expectations are set up by previous experiences. For example, they're set up by things like culture, society, watching the relationships around us, the media, and we're little in our interactions with people before. We have a way of assuming that everyone else's sense of reality is the same as ours. See, that's exactly what I was talking about before. In this situation, we're all caught in these parallel perception realities. I and mean, if you're a person who thinks what we're dealing with is just an organic virus, then, you know, you may think that the government doesn't know what they're doing and may be messing up, but there's a general assumption of the benevolence in the government. However, if you're caught in a reality where the government's doing this intentionally to screw everyone over and create a dictatorship, your expectations of what's happening in your perception are going to be completely different, which is part of why you see no one agreeing right now on these huge arguments and conflicts happening. So we have a way of assuming that everyone else's sense of reality is the same as ours and getting really confused and there's a conflict between our expectations and the situation because of it. Just ask a couple from different cultural backgrounds, right? A relationship with someone from another culture will show you really quick just how different people's expectations in a relationship can be. So we often, another thing that is coming up here is that we often don't communicate our expectations in whatever situation we just expect it, you know? And you'll see how fast this turns a relationship upside down. Uh, also, we don't often communicate our expectations because they reflect our needs, and we've been taught it isn't okay to have needs. When we can't directly voice our needs, we often manipulate to get it. So the expectation actually opens the door for manipulation. We do things and say things to get the desired reaction out of someone. 
And one of the best things about being upset in a situation that is the perfect opportunity to find out what your subconscious expectations and assumptions are. If you've drawn the sigil, you're being asked to become aware of your ex what your expectations are in the situation that you're going relative to the situation. Then you must decide consciously if you want to maintain those expectations or let them go. If you want to maintain them, those expectations have to be communicated to the people involved in the situation so that they have the chance to either agree with them or not. Only then can you decide what's the best interest of both you and them. Is that a good demonstration? It worked for me. Yeah, I think it was pretty much bang on the money. I mean, well, you, Tasha. well, it's the perceptual piece, obviously, that the lens we're looking through completely impacts both how we feel and how we respond and how we act and the choices we make. And I, I guess that's part of, for me, a choice because I can clearly, I could, I feel all parts of me, they're all welcome, and certainly they don't all agree. So while one part might get into one thing, another as another, I'm going to choose a lens that actually has me in alignment with uh, what feels to me a frequency of love. That's just my choice. And whatever work I have to do to make that happen, you know, COVID or no COVID, it has just amped it up. Um, as everything does, everything feels like an opportunity to do what I'm talking about. So, yeah, I think, um, what do you think from the card, Teal? is the piece that you want our listeners to kind of sit with that might be helpful because that's really my jam helpful to them um being what word do we want to say feeling their own wholeness their autonomy even in a situation where we have very little control sometimes it feels like yeah, I mean, I mean, it can be as simple as something like this. If you're one of those people who doesn't feel a personal calling to protest or things like that, and you're one of those people who wants to stay home or is deciding to adhere to what's being said and staying home, you can do things as simple as, you know, I, I want to design my day my way. Because a sense of purpose is actually going to happen on the heels of enjoyment and interest. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are just distracting themselves right now. It's about Netflix. I'm not saying there's anything wrong about watching a movie or something like that, but there's a much more empowering step when you're really thinking about what things can I add to my day even if I'm inside the house or even if I'm only able to go outside for you know, in a limited amount of ways that would actually make me feel empowered in the life that I'm sitting in, that make me feel like I have an active hand in my experience here so that life doesn't feel like it's happening to me. So I'm talking a lot right now about people getting into the position of cause instead of the position of effect. How can I be at the cause of my life instead of at the effect of everything in my life? Because right now, most of us feel like this whole thing is happening to us. Even if we are in a situation where we've created a circumstance where things are happening to us, we can still flip and get into the position of causation. So if I'm like, you know what, I want strawberries today, and I flip into the position of causation, I might be led to put on a mask, go to the store, or shop online, or whatever it is. It's about, you know, like human happiness is a lot about being able to bring about what you're wanting. And even though there may be doors and windows that are closed to us right now, which is why most of us feel controlled in the situation we're in, it doesn't mean that all doors and windows are closed. And we have the tendency when we're switching to that position of causation to be able to see where those windows and doors will be open, as opposed to kind of like a, a bug against a window, you know? Mm -hmm. What's your uh, favorite tool for bringing about what you want? My favorite tool? Mm. More practical steps, to be honest with you. I get a lot more. I mean, I know that a lot of people do visualizations and meditations like that, and I think it's powerful in terms of bringing you into a state of alignment, but I find a lot better results when I am helping somebody to become aware or myself to become aware of what is wanted powerfully first. A lot of that is about noticing what's unwanted and then using that to pivot. What does that mean that I powerfully want? And then literally just brainstorming proactive steps for how you could learn about getting those things and what actual steps you take. I mean, it's super practical. 
rather than out there as a terrorist. No, I get that, and and I think it's important to know that. I mean, it's a really good way. A lot of people don't know what they want, but they do know what they don't want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to use that as a portal to pivot, as you say, it's a no-brainer because it's obvious what you don't want, right? It's also yeah, it's also quite powerful because it, I notice when we're caught in this, and I'm definitely no exception here. When I get myself in a tizzy or I'm upset about something, it's pretty interesting to really consciously look at the elements of whatever I'm upset about in terms of what I'm not liking, and then using that to define, okay, well, what is, not just what is the opposite of this, what is this telling me that I want? And once I figure that out, when I'm looking at it directly, what's quite interesting about that is that it starts to flip where the strategy for how to get it would be completely different than what I would have normally done. Right. So this, to me, is a perfect segue to relationship. Okay. Which I know you've got lots to say about, but it is. It really is. It's like, you know... Um, so many things that you were saying around COVID, I'm listening to it going, it's, it's exactly applicable to an intimate relationship, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. right? Yeah. So maybe give us your, where do we start? I mean, the whole concept of cause and effect to me is um, one of the things you, you earlier, you'd said, we need a yes, yes. We need to know there's this third choice and yeah. um, where we both can be 100% authentic in the same container. So now we've got autonomy and we've got connection. You be you, I be me, here we are in a container. What do you want to, let's start there and just go where you feel like going. I feel like the bedrock of a relationship about safety is really about trust, right? Now we got to define what trust is. And the definition that I'm going to give you of trust is that you can rely upon someone to capitalize on your best interest. And this is really not a place that most people are in in their relationships. Most of us are not in childhood experiences, quite frankly, where we can have trust in our caregivers because they're not really considering the kid. And this has been, it's evolving a little bit right now, but if you look back through history, the mentality that the majority of adults have around children is that you know, it's basically my way of the highway. So it's not like the child's best interests are really taken in by the parent who sends a projection of what the child's best interest should be. And that's not always accurate. I mean, most parents don't know enough about their kid, quite honestly, to make that, that decision. I know that's a little bit of a complication with you, point, but most parents don't have not learned enough about the kid or children in general to understand the way that things are being perceived. So, for example, let's say that you've got a mom with a new baby on the way. And you've got a little toddler, right? Um, mom doesn't usually know enough about that toddler to realize that the toddler experiences her as a primary partner. So when she brings that little baby home, not having prepared the kid for anything but a flaming, what she's not really getting is that the kid is going to perceive itself as being completely replaced. It would be no different than if, um, if I walked through the door as your husband wife, right? And I said, you know, I've met someone else, and it's a brand new relationship, and I'm pretty excited about it. And quite frankly, they need more time with me, so I'm going to be spending a little bit more time with them. Maybe a little bit different, but you're going to grow to love them, and they're staying no matter whether you like it or not. How would most people react? I mean, most people would be like, you'd be lucky to escape without having a frying pan over your head with that one. And so you see, you know, toddlers reacting in this extreme way. And we tell ourselves it's just because we're kids, but actually they're having the same emotional experiences as an adult without if their spouse decided to bring another partner home that's the end of it. Like threat of abandonment, really, right? Yeah. yeah. And so but from a parent's perspective, that's not what's happening. From a parent's perspective, like this will be good. You're gonna be able to you know, it's gonna be a playmate, but it's not a playmate for two or three years, right? So it's not, what I'm trying to get at is it's not in the best interest, actually, of a child. To have a new baby is not in the best interest of a child who's already there. And that's something that most parents don't get. So if you're going to have to work it into being in the best interest of the kid. You're going to have to consider those feelings in the child and bring them in as a part of yourself instead of just looking at the kid and be like, deal with it. Why are you being such a brat? You know? So what I'm bringing this up for is that most parents don't create a workability within the relationship with the child's needs, or with the child's perceptions. And so this, cr this creates a, 
mentality in a child of, you know what, I have to fend for my own best interests. If I have wants and needs, I gotta get them, and it's up to me to get them. So you start behaviors like stealing and whatever, you know, manipulative strategies for getting needs met, and this pervades up into adulthood. Where if I look at the typical adult relationship, it's I'm out for myself and I'm out for myself, and I've got all kinds of strategies to make it not look like that. Mm-hmm. So it actually takes a long time for people to. It doesn't have to take a long time. It usually takes a long time for people to move into a space of I am actually doing this for you because that benefits me in some way. Mm-hmm. Instead of you know you have a classic self-sacrificer who's doing everything for others, but everything they do is actually for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your number one. Um, guidance for people in terms of a quality to develop to be able to be in a healthy relationship is to develop trust you have to make it trust. a hallmark it's ironic because it's like you gotta make yeah. it a hallmark relationship and everybody says yeah. that what does it mean it yeah. means that for me to have a safe relationship i have to make the relationship safe the way that i yeah. do that is by saying like let's say you and you're in a relationship doesn't matter by the way whether this is a friend doesn't matter whether it's a partner doesn't matter whether it's a boss whatever I have to say that's a part of your part. So your best interests are part of my best interests. That doesn't mean that if you you want something one way, then I'm going to just abandon myself. That's like that's not the strategy I'm looking for. It's that I can't make a decision that makes you miserable. So you and I have to work on this is the first. We have to work on finding that yes, yes for us both. And then if you do this enough times, that's where trust is. You do. You start to learn that I'm a person who will caretake your best interests and vice versa, and that's where security happens in the relationship. And part of that's about rupture too. I mean, most, it's not like in a great relationship you're never going to get ruptured. You are in a safe relationship, though. Rupture is repaired because I care whether you're in pain. Right, right. So and we've got to start moving towards our close. And I heard of one thing you do, and I was curious if you do it for Vancouver, for Canada. I heard that sometimes at workshops you offer an energetic evaluation of the country before mm-hmm. the event takes place when you're teaching. Can you do that for, I don't know if you want to do Vancouver, because to me it's so different than the other coast, but you want to do Vancouver? Can you feel Vancouver? Yeah, I can feel it right now. Okay. Pretty interesting because the, the vibe around Vancouver right now has changed. But oh, if, if you guys are interested in what it used to be, yeah, I did a whole blog on Vancouver where I did, did an energetic diagnosis. Yeah, but actually, what's taken over that today is relative to the situation at hand, and it's around fear around health. Actually, is the biggest deal right now in Vancouver. Yeah, so the fo- the dominant focus that people of Vancouver have to take on is what is health to me. And, and what is health to me is very different than how do I stay safe. Um, health is more, if you're looking at health and how to maintain or create a state of health, it's more about how to nourish yourself and what to add than what to prevent. If that makes sense. So if people, are listening, you know, if people are listening to this, it should be about like what does health mean for me in terms of what do I add to my life in order to nourish myself into that state of health? Is it sleep? Is it these foods? Is it these people in my life? Is it taking in this material from my perceptual senses? That's what I would say. Right. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, you've been listening to Conscious Living on Co-op Radio 100.5 FM in Vancouver, in good old Vancouver. And um, thanks, to you. I'm yeah, Tasha Sims. That was Sims. great. And I'm Mark Caron. Thank you so much, too. That was fantastic. Thank you. You have been listening to Conscious Living Radio. For free show downloads, additional information about our guests and topics, or details about upcoming programs, check us out at ConsciousLivingRadio.org. I know you're scared to be yourself sometimes. This world can be so blind But if you take the chance to trust Start to open up You just might find